O God, open our hearts and our minds to the movement of your spirit and the miracle of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sister Joan Chittister will be our guest speaker this fall for the annual Tom York Lecture Series. The author of more than 50 books and countless articles, she has appeared on Oprah and 60 Minutes and in countless other resources as a valued voice on spiritual life. Please save October 13th, it's a Saturday morning, for her visit with us. In hopes of getting you excited about it, I'm going to talk about her work a little bit this morning. It relates to our scripture lessons from Exodus and John. This paragraph comes from the beginning of her book, Radical Spirit, which is about living a free and authentic life. In this society, she writes, The search for personal freedom has become big business. Whole industries have been constructed around it. Financial consultantships, pharmaceuticals, psychology, tourism, all of them purporting to provide the process for finding personal peace, the tools for removing angst, the way to escape ourselves. But those things never really work. They serve for a while to dampen the groaning, empty the pain of it, perhaps, but in the end, the strictures arise to chafe again, and the first question is always, why? Why this impression of internal captivity? Why this sense of emptiness in me? My, why my resistance to change? Why the everlasting weight of ghost-like burdens? we simply cannot seem to shrug off." End quote. These are questions of freedom. All kinds of people are looking for a way to be free, free from things like agitation, anger, addictions, anxieties, fear, stress. These are all things that master us and that keep us feeling trapped. Some of us like to pretend that we are not slaves to anything. Others of us know exactly what masters us. Either way, most of us would like more freedom in our lives, in our spirits. And we know we have looked in the wrong places in search of more freedom. We keep placing hope in things that are never going to give us what we really want. While Sister Jones' description starts with the the specifics in this society, She goes on to reflect that these questions are common and recurring questions about the human situation, questions people have always asked. They're questions of spiritual hunger, 
And in the Bible, the quest for freedom is often characterized as hunger. And the stories that speak about it are usually stories about food. This morning, we read two of those stories. The New Testament story takes place right after the one we read last week. The story where Jesus takes two fish and five loaves and feeds a crowd of 5,000 people. Having experienced that incredible miracle, the people do the obvious thing. They follow Jesus, hoping for more. And that's the question of this story. More what? More what? When the people catch up to Jesus, he says something to them that must have been hard for them to hear. Very truly, I tell you, he says, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, Jesus tells them that the feeding miracle was meant to send a message, and they didn't get it. It should have led them to faith, to belief and trust in the one who was feeding them, and relief from the things that had them trapped. Jesus knows they didn't get it because they just want more food, more of the instrumental thing that was supposed to lead them to something greater. They have misplaced confidences. Like an addict who keeps trying to find wholeness in a drug or a bottle. Like an anxious or fearful or lonely person who keeps buying things to try to make those feelings go away. The people have placed their confidence in the wrong thing. They want bread rather than wanting to know the one who gave it. The people in this story then make reference to another story in which the very same mistake was made. This one comes from the Old Testament following the exodus from Egypt. After generations in slavery, the Hebrew people finally get their freedom. Crossing the sea to get out of Egypt, they enter into the wilderness. The wilderness is not just a physical place. It is a place of spiritual wandering and lostness. They are there because they have to wander around and figure out what it means to be free. Immediately, they are anxious. Slavery was terrible, but it was all they knew. And they immediately become afraid that they will starve without their old master to provide bread for them. We all do things like this. We tell ourselves we are stuck with something because it is the only thing we know. Even when we know something in our lives is bad, we often stick with it because it is familiar and predictable. And real freedom can be frightening. So to break the Hebrews of their old attachments to Egypt, God sends them food. 
bread from heaven called manna. It rains down on the ground every night and provides food for every day. It is supposed to be a sign from God. It's not just bread, it's a sign. It is God saying, you can trust this new life of freedom I have given you. You don't have to be afraid and go running back to Egypt. But the people have trouble seeing the sign. They just see bread. An important detail of the story illustrates the point. The manna that falls from the sky only lasts for one day. The people are specifically instructed, take what you need for each day. There will be more tomorrow. Trust me, God is saying. Don't be afraid. But some of the people can't help themselves. They take more bread than they need and they try to store it away for tomorrow just in case. And when they wake up the next morning, it is rotten. They cannot see God's sign of freedom. So desperate as they are to collect bread and put a band-aid on their anxiety. People sometimes wonder why the Israelites wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, why it took them so long to find their way to the promised land. The reason is simple. They needed an entire generation of getting manna. An entire generation needed to pass away in order for them to forget about slavery under Pharaoh and learn to trust the freedom they were given from God. The Israelites are learning a spiritual lesson about endurance. Some matters of faith cannot be absorbed all at once. We have to keep at them for a while in order to get the point. If you want to be able to manage the anxieties, the fears, the addictions that so often become our masters, if you want to experience real freedom, you have to learn to trust God. And learning that lesson takes endurance. Sister Joan Chittister writes about endurance. She tells a story about the long period of training she went through on the way to becoming a nun. Early in her training, she was sent to a faraway teaching assignment in the middle of nowhere. There was no one else her age, and nothing interesting to do, and the days were an endless grind of some teaching and a lot of praying, doing chores, and being alone. She only just barely resisted asking to be sent somewhere else, knowing that that was the wrong thing to do. And she then found out that this awful ass assignment that she had for one year would be extended for three more. At some point, she started reading Shakespeare to pass the time. She read every one of his plays. She also read the librettos of every American musical. 
she poured through these great works of literature and drama, probably out of modesty. She never says this, but I'm sure that this had to be a season when seeds were being sown to make Sister Joan a best-selling author, because great writers are great readers. She does acknowledge some other things about that time as well. She says that once her next assignment came along, she immediately became so busy that she never had that kind of time for reading again. And she realized the gift of it. And she talks about other benefits of that time. I learned, she writes, to make bad time into good time. I learned to make bad time into good time, an enterprise that has made the entire rest of my life richer. She talks about how she's able to make the best of all of the waiting rooms and delays and frustrations and inconveniences that drive most of us absolutely crazy. Can you imagine what a gift it would be to know how to make bad time into good time in your life? So many of us are always angry in traffic or impatient with our bosses or our families. We daydream about some place else in life where the grass is greener, some change to our situation or surroundings that will suddenly make things better and happier for us. Sister Joan learned a life lesson of endurance during her period of training. I discovered, she says, how to simply be where I was, concentrating on the inner life rather than racing around looking for a more attractive exterior life. In case her example coming out of the life of a nun doesn't strike a chord with you, Sister Joan also cites the famous Stanford Marshmallow study. Five-year-olds are given a marshmallow and told that they, if they can wait 15 minutes to eat it, they'll get two. The study followed all of the subjects of the study into their adulthood. And it found that pretty much to a person, those who had the endurance to wait for something better excelled in almost every measurable area relative to their impatient peers. Endurance is something we need. And it almost always pays off. Of course, there are some circumstances in which the rules are different, and I must pause to say that if you are in an abusive relationship or some other unhealthy situation, endurance is probably not the quality you need. Also, when we talk about slavery as a metaphor, it always seems important to remember that real physical slavery of many kinds still exists. Our use of it as a metaphor should encourage us to become more aware of those who still live in slavery and of its lasting legacy in our culture. It is a powerful metaphor for a reason. 
But there is something for all of us in this metaphor about freedom and hunger and the endurance to seek what we really need. Most of the bread we look for to fill us up is not the bread we really need. If we have the endurance to seek for the real bread of life, we will find something that is very much worth having. I'm afraid there is a frustrating end to this sermon. Many of us would like to have some clear definition of what it is that we are seeking before we spend lots of time looking for the bread of life. What does it really look like to say that Jesus is the bread of life? What does it feel like to know that? The fact is, it would be arrogance for me to assume that I can do a better job of explaining it than Jesus did. He means what, it's, what he says, and it cannot be explained any better. He is the bread of life, the bread that will not leave us hungry. Over a lifetime, we hope to discover for ourselves what those inexplicable words really mean. And to help us know that we are always welcome to begin that journey or to come back to it if we have left, bread and a mystery about it is a part of our worship. It is something that we do regularly. I noted during the opening announcements that I left the communion liturgy out of the bulletin this week. It was my fault. I didn't no notice it until I arrived this morning. I'll be honest with you that that brought up a little bit of anxiety in me. I don't like to make mistakes. And then it occurred to me what a beautiful illustration that is of exactly what these stories are talking about. Are those words just as I expect them to be present and just as you expect, them, expect to read them? Is it really that important that they be there in order for us to receive the good news that Jesus is the bread of life? No. It's not that I'd like to make that same mistake over and over again, but we'll talk you through communion this morning. And I hope it'll be an opportunity for you to lift your head off of the page and think in a different way about what it might mean that Jesus is the bread of life and to receive these gifts in a different way than you have before. And for me to offer them to you out of a place of humility. Because like every one of you, I am a broken person as well. My friends, this is the gift that we have in this story. To hear this mystery that Jesus is the bread of life. And to wonder about what that really means. Maybe all of that just leaves you wanting more, more clarity, more definition. 
As always, I'm happy to talk more with you about it. Or maybe my explanations this morning have failed entirely to help you, and I have only left you more confused. The good news is that Sister Joan will be here in the fall to speak for herself. Amen. <laughs>